Welcome to the One Big Idea Podcast, your guide to making it in Web3. Each week, I sit down with the brightest founders, creators, and thought leaders to unpack the lessons, strategies, and trends you need to know for venturing into the world of crypto. This episode is brought to you by Rug Radio, the world's largest decentralized media company changing the way creators build, distribute, and own their content. To learn more about this creator's first community, visit Rug Radio at www.rug.fm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the One Big Idea podcast. We are joined this week by the one and only Kenobi, the founder of Metaverse Miami, a new crypto conference taking place in Miami this November 28th through the 30th. I believe I have those dates right, Kenobi? Yep. Co-founder. Perfect. 28th and 30th. Amazing. Well, welcome. How you doing? Oh, GM, man. I'm doing good. It's, uh, I think we're 11 days out as of recording right now. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time, man. It's exciting time. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm well, I'm looking forward to speaking at this conference. should be really exciting talking about music with a few people like spotty Wi-Fi is going to be up on there. I think Illa, the producer is going to be another one on, on the panel as well. So looking forward to chatting with those guys, but why don't you take us back a little bit, you know, Deciding to start a conference uh, is is a pretty big endeavor. Why don't we go even further back than that? How did you get into Web three to begin with? Where where did you start? And yeah, how did we how did we get to this point? Yeah, so um, naturally, like most of us, crypto first, right? So I'd been watching Bitcoin for a long time. I actually went to undergrad a long time ago with somebody who founded CoinMe one of the first Bitcoin like uh, kiosks that you could like buy Bitcoin at like a grocery grocery store. And so he and I always had like a chat going and I would like, um, I would ask him questions. I would grill him. I was never really convinced. And then um, I watched it go up and come back down in 2018 and then finally got in in 2020. So um, after doing a bunch of research, I just pulled the trigger into Bitcoin and ETH and then I kind of just let that ride and at 10x, like, you know, into that 2020 run, um, the whole space kind of did. And then it's really funny. My cousin in California saw that I had Coinbase on my phone and he started asking me like, oh, what's going on? And we started talking and he was like, oh, you got to get into this coin. It was like this garbage shit coin. (laughs) <laughs> like meme coin, and so he was like yeah dude this thing's going to the moon you got to get in on it here here get, get a metamask and he like basically onboarded me into shit coins which is really funny and uh and so i from there in like very early 2021 actually late 2020 and early 2021 i was like dealing with these coins and that got me re-engaged in twitter because i had deleted twitter i had it since 2009 and then i just got off of it because I was trying to focus on um, not being stuck to my phone, which I have now full circle failed at. Um. <laughs> as we all have as degenerates, so <laughs> but, we can commiserate um, in that. Yeah, man. And so from the meme coins and Twitter, I then discovered NFTs and I got into a couple projects, learned what Discord was, jumped into some communities, started to understand like the communities that were forming around these different NFT collections. And then really just went down the rabbit hole and like immediately saw the the unique value proposition that blockchain in the form of non-fungible tokens had digital collectibles now but um you know i just totally got uh got red pilled into everything and 
that was summer 2021. So, you know, like before Doodles, but after Board Ape. So I was kind of in the middle between that initial run and then like the fall push. So, yeah, that's how I what got into it. What were your first uh, NFTs? Oh, man. One of my first NFTs was like a, a project that was built around the premise of building a like a virtual poker club. That was one of my first NFTs, which was a really cool project. Uh, and the idea was really good. But like the um, the team fell victim to like influencers that took money and then bolted and stuff like that. So it just, that did never work out, but I bought like fame ladies and then, um, I didn't mint doodles because of the whole whitelist thing, mm -hmm. but I bought, I bought doodles the day after or two days after mint. Um, so like, I think the floor was 0.8 when I got into doodles. Um, yeah. Tell me about your experience in doodles. Because you were there pretty pretty early and a, a fairly active member from, if not day one, pretty close to it. Yeah, man. So Doodles has always felt like my home community uh, in the NFT space. I think I've rocked my Doodle as a PFP basically since I bought it a couple days after Mint. Um, I've always found that community to be diver like diverse and vibrant like i think i mean you're in there with me right so it's like it's very vibrant but then there's like there's there's a really core discord community and there was a lot of like um you know good vibes in there and also a lot of trading and alpha and stuff like that um and then i didn't spend as much time in the discord community <clears throat> i really enjoyed twitter interactions with other doodle members and then the unlock really came when um i went to south by or not south by but uh Art Basel last year and I didn't really have close friendships with anybody yet. Like I didn't have a ton of people to meet up with and plan ahead with. So I just kind of wandered into the hearts community as a doodles holder that that hearts doodles party and was just kind of hanging out and talking to people and meeting people randomly. And then when I went to South by that was like the most fun I've had. Like that was the big unlock. I had made all these friendships you know, with you and with, you know, Nitty and Fells and Eric and like all these guys. Um, and that really solidified like my love for doodles and the people that are a part of that core community. Um, yeah, it's then, been it's been really fascinating to look back on the last year with within doodles, but more broadly within the NFT ecosystem and the importance. It's like the silent part that's not really talked about, but the importance of live to yes. a digital community cannot be overstated. The relationships that you're able to build in person and you really start to solidify what, what those relationships are going to look like in the future. We've seen businesses be developed out of that. We've seen uh, relationships be developed out of that. Uh, the bonds that hold people together, like, yes, they can start natively online, but I, I'm still I'm curious where you land on this, but I, I still very much believe that you have to have some some physical component. And I and I think to that end, that's why a lot of people who have not been based in North America across a lot of projects have, have felt a bit left out because there haven't been mm -hmm. as many of these breakout live sessions outside of the United States or Western Europe. Yeah, man, that's, that's a really good critique of the space. And I think it's also just indicative of global macroeconomics for one, and also just how early everything is. So I think that's, we're seeing that every every month, every quarter, you know, things are being organized outside of the sort of core uh, 
like, you know, your um, American market, American and Canada, like North American markets. So I think that's a fair critique and it's also changing rapidly. Um, and yeah, I let, I agree completely about the IRL events. Like you asked me about doodles and I talked for 10% of the time about digital interactions. And then I immediately started going to all the meetups, all the friendships, you know, sharing barbecue in Austin, like sharing like food with like sitting down and having dinner with Fells in New York. Like just these meetups are super important for taking digital relationships to not necessarily more authentic, but just a deeper level, I think. Yeah. To summarize the digital relationships serve or the digital assets serve as a launch pad for physical relationships. A hundred percent. I agree. With so, that statement. Walk me through who you were as, as much as you're willing to share prior to web three, what, what's your background and experience? Because the leap to go into a conference seems pretty like insurmountable to most people. So I'm very interested in hearing what your, what your makeup was outside of, of web three. Yeah, man, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, so I'll start way back and we won't go too long. Um, I'll try to keep it abbreviated, but like neither of my parents graduated college. So I actually went to a D3 undergraduate school to play college football. I got like a football scholarship uh, in the Pacific Northwest, um, studied cultural anthropology and history and didn't know what that was going to be other than I assumed I'd go to grad school. Uh, parents were both in construction. Um, and I went and did, you know, this and that was a ski bum in Colorado for a year and ended up going to graduate school for design. So I, I have master's degrees in urban design and landscape architecture. And so that has been my professional practice. I'm a licensed, you know, designer, landscape architect in three or four states. I've worked um, on big multidisciplinary projects with top tier global architecture firms on federal work on big like D1 football stadium improvements, college campus design, um, city planning scale stuff, like kind of the gamut. I've had a really cool career in design. And so I think spatially, I design public places, plazas, things like that, parks. And so 3D modeling is a part of my life um, for sure. Uh, rendering and, and creating graphics and things is part of my life. Thinking through design process is part of my life. And so when I discovered NFTs, the, the, the lowest hanging fruit immediately seemed to be like, okay, metaverse, like I can take my design skills, become a metaverse builder really quickly. Like I could make that pivot super fast and just start like cranking out virtual environments, no problem. And I immediately hit the brakes on that because that in the same way in my traditional practice, that skill set to a certain degree it's one part like creative like creative genius problem solving but also just a commodity of like building a thing and just cranking it out um so i didn't want to just start being pegged as like building worlds and that was all it was i wanted to really understand the space because it's this new frontier like web3 is this new frontier and i was like before i just jump to what i know i need to understand who the players are like what the communities are doing, who are being innovative, like who the good actors are, who the bad actors are. Like 
searching for trusted sources of information and getting a better sense of the this very small and brilliant community of people became my number one goal right out of the gate uh, as soon as I decided I wasn't going to do metaverse builds. And so that made me pivot back to my um, 10 plus years as doing um, not philanthropy, but volunteerism. So as a design professional, I've always served on boards uh, like the state level to help organize educational conferences for like the American Society of Landscape Architects and things like that. And so those conferences are all put together pretty much by volunteers, whether they're at the state level or the national level. And you learn a lot when you're on a volunteer board helping put together a conference for hundreds of people. You learn a ton. Um, and you also learn a ton by attending conferences. And as a design professional, like that's where you go to meet the innovators. That's where you go to hear from the so-called experts. And in that field, there are experts, right? Or at least thought leaders. Um, and so when I attended conferences last year, Basel, like I, I, there was a lot left to be desired. And so what I wanted to do right away was like, just figure out how we could raise the bar when it came to educational conferences for gathering the community together to learn. Um, what was left to be desired? What, what did you wish you would have seen? I want to answer this in a way that's, um, polite because I'm probably to a fault, very polite and I'm not going to dunk on anybody, but like basic stuff, like, like run of show, basic stuff, like the schedule was met and the schedule was kept. Like I went to the, to the different stages and the people who were supposed to be there weren't there or it was a completely different talk or like it was three hours late because they hadn't like stopped on time for the other talks or speakers didn't show, um, you know, that the event that I went to, like, there was a ton of convention floor booths. So I, you could like talk to different projects who were building protocols or creating this or that. And like, that was neat. And they had some cool art stuff like, in, you know, that you could walk around and explore, but the, the learning side, like I just didn't get any value out of the learnings at all. Um, you know, the parties were fun, the meetups were fun, but like, hearing from real like thought leaders in the space that were not just shilling a project, but actually talking about the tech, talking about the community, the um, everything else that seemed to be missing. So we thought that that was something that we could um, bring to the community that the community deserved really. And so your experience in design, particularly serving on these boards, really influenced you in terms of how you went about thinking of how to develop a conference of your own. So you, you've gone, this is about a year ago, you've gone to Basel, you have the idea of like, okay, there's something to be left. There's something here to be desired. I want to do it differently. What, how did you make that jump from like, this isn't what it could be to, I want to do something about it. Yeah. I think, um, <laughs> It wasn't one big thing, but a lot of little things. But the one that stuck out to our team, um, and I and I went to Basel last year with a few people from that first Discord community and met up with them. And so we were all standing in a four-hour line in a hot parking lot waiting to get into an event with like our like Eventbrite QR code for like a normal, like any other kind of Web2 style event attendance. And we were like, how like this is supposed to be like the cutting edge of technology, like web three NFTs, the metaverse, like 
the people building in the space are at the bleeding edge of this tech as like, or so we're told, or that was our understanding. And how is it that these tickets aren't NFTs yet? How is it that uh, digital ownership isn't a part of the events experience, right? And I should say that each event I've gone to has gotten a little bit better, right? So this the 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 sort of impetus for all this was a while back, and so it's it's slowly getting better. So we just saw like, man, if if we want to try and do something, we should do it now because a few years from now, someone will do it. Um, so that was kind of. The, the thing that pushed us to um, to go from an idea to actual active planning and, and execution. So um, it helps that my co-founder render, he, uh, he had like 20 plus years experience working with like Live Nation and AG. So he had like big festival experience and he's amazing at organizing on the production side. So um, I think between our two skill sets and then the, the sort of behind the scenes team, we realized that we had we had the necessary tools to take a shot at it. So what are those necessary tools, particularly what is the playbook for building a conference? You know, many of us only see the finished product. We show up, we get our tickets, maybe we go to a couple panels, but we don't actually understand the, you've been working on this for a year. Like, what does that year look like? What, what have been yeah. the steps to get to this point? Yeah, that's a good question, Austin. Um, Networking is a huge one because, especially as a first-time event, right? So my answer after Metaverse Miami 2023, like next year will look different than this first year. But hmm. um, without having like uh, a sort of, you know, like like Gary and Vcon, they did a great event, but they had a sold-out NFT project with a 15th floor and like the ability to to fund this their event, you know, no problem. So they just sort of put on the event. Um, higher event planners, you know, that's, there's a playbook to that. Um, and there's a playbook to putting on traditional conferences. You can hire a company to put on a conference for whatever you want. Um, you know, you can hire, hire them around any topic and they will use the conference playbook as it currently exists. But when you create a Web3 native conference that's built around a tokenized community and a different kind of ticketing structure and giving the ticket ownership to the community, that's a whole different story. So without having done an event before, had to establish trust with everyone in the network, had to have a solid understanding of um, not just personalities, but like who's really here building versus who in the middle of the bull market were like, you know, just there for the bull market and then disappeared because we're building long term. Like we want partners and relationships that will be here three years from now and longer. So I would say just having a, a really solid understanding of the community was one of the first and foremost parts and being very deliberate and intentional about the partnerships that we leaned into. How did you build that community? Because this is a different proposition than like you mentioned, VCon having a 10,000 PFP project, having a built-in community that has established trust your key value prop is a conference. And so how do you develop a sense of belonging around a conference that has not yet taken place? How do you get people in the same room around the same mission? Yeah. You know, I think, I think we're in the middle of it, Austin. Like um, I could turn that question back on you, right? I asked you, I talked to you about the idea and the vision. I told you what we were thinking and what our goals were. And you agreed to 
be a speaker, right? Like you agreed to attach your, your name to our event in a way that, um, you know, if we didn't do what, if we don't do what we're saying we're going to do, that's going to like look bad for everybody. Right. So that's, it's one-on-one man. It's, it's, it's building interpersonal relationship trust with each person. I mean, I had, um, zoom calls with nearly every speaker, um, you know, like whether they were established relationships or new relationships, like I, I wanted to interview them and I wanted to let them interview me. I had, you know, people like, um, Simon or VGF who I didn't know before, but I saw them on the timeline just ripping into web three events as being griffs and, and not okay. And they can't believe that this, that, and the other thing. And I hit them up in the, in the, in the replies. And I was like, Hey, I agree with you. Let's talk. And we had a zoom call and like, I was being grilled for 15, 20 minutes before it turned. And then we started talking collaboratively. And then those have been some of my biggest, you know, our biggest supporters are people who see the vision and think that it can be done differently and think that it should be done differently and choose to support. So it's really organic. Um, you know, it's, it's a very different process than creating great art, um, creating a marketing plan, you know, botting a Twitter following up to 20,000 real quick so that everyone else jumps on board. Like we haven't done any of that and it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, but it's relational. It's one-on-one um, over a long period of time. So, What I found particularly fascinating when we had that initial call was, and this probably like six months ago at this point, maybe a little bit more than that, yeah. was the speaker list. Because if you were to think of building, you know, I come from a music background, you think about putting together a music festival, you have like your main headline acts, right? Like the Travis mm-hmm. Scott's, the Billie Eilish's, the ones that are going to buy the tickets just to see mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. then as you go down the supporting acts and, and, and lesser and lesser in terms of visibility and the hope is that you're bringing awareness to them, but they're not really why people are buying tickets. And we had this music festival in Seattle called Sasquatch, which for like independent grungy people in Seattle, Washington was like their favorite thing in the world because they didn't prescribe to that model. Like they never went after the big names. They would get like the national as a headliner when at any other uh, festival, they would be like third, (laughs) third tier, you know, but they knew their audience and they, they did it really well. Mm-hmm. What I found really interesting about our initial conversations is when I looked at that speaker list, it felt very similar to Sasquatch to me in that mm-hmm. it wasn't the biggest names, but if you knew if you were actually in the community on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. you mentioned VGS and VGF and Simon, like those are two people that I've gotten to know really well. They don't have the biggest followings, but people that know them, respect their opinions, and mm-hmm. they're showing up every day. They're on all of the Twitter spaces. They're continually putting their ideas out there. And what's so interesting about Web3, in my opinion, is that ideas tend to win over time over people. And so yeah. if you consistently show up, what I've, what's been really fascinating to watch is, you know, you had these conversations six months ago. I can guarantee everyone that you've had on the speaker list has seen their following grow pretty substantially. So there's a bit of like 
A and R work that you did in mm-hmm. in identifying people more or less before they they blew up. I mean, you even look at someone like Degentraland talking to mm-hmm. him then versus now is a completely different conversation. And so, yeah, I I very much appreciated that because you compare it to other festivals, they get the big headliners. And it's like I don't want to hear the same five talking heads. I want to hear from the people. I want to hear from the man in the arena. I want to hear from the people yeah. that are actually building this on a day to day basis. Yeah, man, that was exactly our goal. And um, yeah, I'm glad it resonated with you because that was that was the strategy. It was it, it was do the hard work to be in the trenches with everyone else. Like I remember talking with Illa um, before he became a community manager for Yuga. Right. Like like we had lots of talks and he he said almost the same thing that you just said about why he wanted to be a speaker at Metaverse Miami. He said. I want to be surrounded by the MFers that are in the trenches with me day in and day out. I see the people who are here contributing, spending their time, giving their ideas, sharing, um, being generous with their ideas, right? Like generosity is one of the biggest things in Web3 that I think separates it apart is people working to help each other collaboratively versus trying to like stiff arm and gatekeep or, or something like that. So yeah, man, we just, we really wanted to create a curated, smaller, tighter crew of speakers that just felt really authentic and and could bring a ton of value because we're not selling tickets to a concert, right? Where the value prop is community, community building, and sharing information. Um, and you know, there's the other stuff about having it all in one place so people aren't running all over town. And the other little problems we tried to solve, right? Have the parties all in one place with the speakers, with the art gallery, so that you're not like Ubering all over the place and things like that. And then Yeah, let's let's talk about that because it has been for anyone that has been on the Web3 conference circuit, one of the biggest pains is just how much you're fighting traffic every time you're at one of these things. It's funny, when we were at NFT, NFT NYC last year. Uh, I was speaking to Julian at Doodles and he was, it was his first experience. He was asking how it was and he compared it to Coachella. And the idea being that you have all these big acts, they're all over the place. You can't see them at the same time. And so you're constantly fighting. You spend way more time walking in between each venue uh, mm-hmm. than you do actually enjoying the show. You yeah. want to make sure that you're like with your friends, but everyone has like different priorities. There's a bunch of different like side shows going on and you don't know which one to go to. And so it becomes this hectic thing on top of the fact that like it's in New York city and everyone is already doing a million things and has friends outside of it, Uh, which is to the credit of econ to go back to that. one of the reasons I really appreciate that conference, it was in the middle of nowhere. Like, sorry if you live in Minneapolis, but there's nothing to do there (laughs) in in spring. I'm sorry. There would be no reason for me to go to us bank arena or a stadium if it wasn't for that conference. But it, it led to a lot of, really fascinating discussions and networking and you knew where everyone was going to be. And so I've appreciated that you've taken that same approach in Miami, a city that has so much going on in and of itself to keep everything in one place because we're, we're here to learn from one another. We're here to network with one another. Uh, Yeah. Walk, walk me through that decision-making process of we want to do, we want to make sure everything is on site. How do you, that seems pretty challenging to pull off. So what was that process of actually being able to do that? Yeah, I mean, so it is it is challenging to pull off because it narrows your venue selection. You can't just pick like a, you know, much more affordable, just big arena or like big conference center and then just 
have hotels all over the place and not good parking and all that. Like it, it narrows down your available venues, especially if you want to provide a premium experience and not just a big, you know, kind of aging box that you put a lot of people in. Um, but really it was one of the things, like we just went down the list of what problems did we want to try and solve with this new conference, right? So it was, it had to be Web3 native. It had to lean into NFT technology and not just talk about it, but utilize it. And not just utilize it as a ticket that then became a collectible ticket stub after, but utilize it in a dynamic way that provides value to the holders beyond just attending an event. So that was important to us. Um, we wanted. Can you location. say more about that? Just to to double down on what what does yeah, that sure. look like to you? So for us, what that looks like to us is exactly how we've designed our Genesis Pass NFTs. Um, again, organic mint. It's not a hype mint. It's been open and minting for months, and it will continue to do so until all of our tokens are out there, whether it's before this event or after. And it's a very carefully thought out collection size and price and tokenomics. So 3,600 Genesis Pass NFTs in total. That's the total quantity that we will ever create. We're not going to sell more tickets after that ever. 600 of those are randomized into our mint, our VIP passes. So we have two rarity tiers. There's there's VIP and then there's GA. Um, and we didn't want to charge more for VIP because it felt extractive the way pricing is structured around traditional events where you see early bird VIP $1,600 for an event. You don't even know what it is or where it is yet. We wanted to not just have people who already have like made it be able to experience VIP. So we've ran. I want people that. to like sit with that for a second because it's such a novel idea for anyone that has gone to a conference or just any ticketing experience. You have set tranches, right? You establish what people are willing to pay at different levels. I was at formula one here in Austin a couple of weeks ago. It was the most like classist thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. Like you think you know VIP, you don't know VIP until you've seen 10 different levels of VIP at F1. And I lived in LA for two years. So it very much is just like, oh, well, the market will afford it. And I'm sure the market would have allowed for you to have a, a normal VIP structure. So that's sure. very, it's very novel and shows where your intent is at, which is you know, really building a, a great consumer experience first. But sorry, I just want to make sure the audience really. No, I appreciate that. it. Like, thank yeah. you for that because I, I think people gloss over our ticketing and they just see our speaker lineup and they're like, oh, it's going to be a dope event. Get your tickets. And I don't even know if, if people realize that that Genesis Pass they minted for 0.3 ETH, which right now is under $400, that's on par with or lower than what you would normally pay to attend an event once. Right? Oh yeah, way lower. And what, way lower. And what you get for that is entrance this year. You, if you can't attend in person, you can actually go through our token gated metaverse and experience it virtually via spatial. Um, and then you can get into all of our future events. Full stop. Like it's it's like having a permanent South by Southwest badge that happens over and over and over and over, and that's it. That's your golden ticket. And so. We wanted our early supporters to benefit. Like when we crush it in 11 days and everyone realizes what we're able to do and that those are the only tickets we're ever going to sell, I would love for people who have minted a few to like be able to flip them for more money to, to spread it out. Like we have over 50% uh, unique holders already, but I expect that number to go up quite a bit as time progresses. But we 
it was a core value of our business strategy to have the community benefit from what we're doing because that's who we're building it for. Um, so yeah, we really thought you needed to lean into NFT tech in the ticketing structure. So 3,600 Genesis passes, only 600 of those are VIP. They are the same price in the mint and they are fully randomized. And then the other thing that we thought was really important is we wanted people to not only be able to utilize them virtually, so our total addressable market is literally everyone who wants to view this content live streamed and learn, but also people who maybe can't attend, they can stake their ticket and generate a single event token from that. So if you have, let's say you have two Genesis passes, you can use one with token proof to show up and get your badge. You can stake, and it's gonna go live, I think this weekend, um, you can stake it, stake the ticket, and it'll spin off an 1155 that gets you into Metaverse Miami for just this year. And so we will end up having a unique collection for Metaverse Miami 2022. That's going to be a dope art collab, you know, with someone, with one of our speaker artists. And that will be a digital collectible of a unknown, currently unknown size collection. And then after the event, that collection is there for us to do what we want with. You unstake your pass, you still own your Genesis pass, but you were able to sell a one-time use ticket to someone else to go, right? So, yeah. Yeah, let's, again, yeah. pretty yeah. revolutionary in terms <laughs> of ticketing. So I really want the audience to be able to sit with these concepts. The idea that you have bought a Genesis pass that will allow you to get into all future events. And if you can't go, you don't have to sell that pass. You can stake it and generate a one-time use to then go and sell. I was going to ask you, were you thinking about leasing programs, but this is a much more novel way of addressing that problem of, okay, you can actually, anytime you can't go, just generate a token and be able to sell that. I mean, no one knows what the price can predict, and I don't mean to shell your conference for you, but that is a very interesting model where you can effectively pay down your 0.3 ETH every time you can't go to an event. That's, that's pretty, pretty remarkable. What went into that decision? Was that something that you knew you wanted to do pretty early on? Yeah, we knew immediately that because we were building backwards, we didn't have an established like war chest and community to then drop tickets to. We knew we needed to create an NFT collection and community of holders that we could reward over time. And we always wanted to build this. Swanset coined this phrase as we were talking when I was interviewing her to be a speaker. And she was like, okay, so it's really like buy Web3 for Web3. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what it is. And it's not just a marketing slogan. We literally, the holders of this pass, as we succeed or fail, will succeed with us, right? So the fact that we've already built out a custom like virtual environment that we can host high value talks in easily whenever we want throughout the year, we're not just talking about one conference per year, we're talking about scaling this as we grow so that those 3,600 token holders, they have the keys to the kingdom. You know what I mean? Like they are the ones who benefit. And what that does for the business is it means that since we've built the event around curation and quality of content, that is what has a attracted more people to want to be involved. 
but also will attract uh, sponsors who want to be associated with the top tier builders in the space. So it's putting a instead of extracting as much money as you can from ticket sales to put on the event, it does rely more on um, marketing relationships with strategic partners. And you know, like our sponsors and partners this year, like Rug Radio, Time, Univision, Miami Herald. You know, we're, we've got I think twenty five or thirty sponsors that most of which are Web three native who see what we're doing and are just excited to support and already wanting to support next year as well and and future wow. events. So it's about building strategic partnerships um, that uh, make it a sustainable education model. Like we're this is not the project to like get rich and retire off of. It's something we felt the community deserved, and so we wanted to build it. Wow. So walk me through the actual format of the event itself. So it's two days. What, what does it look like in terms of programming? What are the different tracks? What should people expect over that? Yeah. Um, and so on the 28th, that's like the check-in and the welcome party. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you show up on the 28th, get checked in, get your badge, whatever that opens like two o'clock. There's going to be, uh, We'll get the art gallery going and some of the like immersive experiences will be able to be, you know, be viewed then and just kind of hang out and vibe by the beach. And then there's a welcome party, um, which has a couple Web3 sponsors, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, that'll be fun. And then the panel start the next day on the 29th. So we have three stages, two main stages. There's like the Rug Radio main stage and then there's the Rug Radio live stage. So the main stage is gonna be hour long panels with 15 minute breaks between strategically, um, basically from nine till four or five, like all day long, panel, 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 panel. Um, and then on the other side, um, there will be live casting. So like Nick and Pio will be doing their morning show live at Metaverse Miami. And that whole stage will be mic'd up to simultaneously be for the live audience, the virtual audience and spatial, that's a live stream, and Twitter spaces. So for those two days, the 29th and 30th, like we're basically gonna have continual Twitter spaces that people will be able to get a sense of what's happening on, our, on that one stage. Um, and then we have the, the 288 hideout, which is like a much more smaller, more intimate fireside chat stage which will be for um, for other conversations as well that are just a little more niche, a little more nuanced and allow you to get into some deeper conversations. Um, but that's like the, the panels and what's happening there. Um, you can step away from all of that and we have curated, I think we have about eight vendors um, who are gonna be joining us and, and they're like makers, you, you know, um, Kai, from AMR who built, mm -hmm. who made like all the doodles jackets. So like he's going to be set up with us and he's going to be like showing off like his amazing like process and project. Uh, Crypto jeweler will be there. Like people who are web three native who are making really cool shit. So we're going to have a few of them. We're going to have a 2000 square foot art gallery that's curated by Roger Dickerman artifacts and JN Silva from like animus. So, those two are collaborating in a private Discord channel right now to bring together some amazing art, um, as well as art from some of our um, speakers, you know, whether it's uh, Swopes or Vinnie Hager or Gabe Weiss, or like we have some like OSF, we've got some amazing artists who are also participating. Um, and then we're gonna have a VIP party in the evening. Um, 
that's actually going to be co-hosted with probably nothing, uh, Fungibles, and Renga. So like Renga's official Basel party is at our VIP party. So that's going to be fun. And all this is on site. Like you don't have to leave. You know, we've, we've, we've gone to the expense of putting the speakers up at Eden Rock. Like we're all just going to be kind of hanging out there vibing for two days. Um, Spotty Wi-Fi is going to play at the, at the welcome party. DJ Rhetoric is going to be playing at, um, at the VIP party. He's going to do a set. We've got some other surprises. Um, we have a wellness track, like we have a, a, a wellness lounge and we'll have like sunrise yoga and like guided meditation for people who need to like just step away. Um, and we've also got some philanthropy stuff going on. So on the 30th in the afternoon, we're going to do a beach cleanup with Clean Miami Beach. And there's going to be like um, Onchain Monkey has sponsored our, our art gallery. And also they're going to be uh, donating like a few monkeys to be uh, part of the beach cleanup. Um, yeah, it's just we're trying to create something for everyone to just come and hang out and not feel like they have to go anywhere else for those few days and watch the world cup. I mean, the world cup's going to be going on. Like we're going to just kind of like, there's a VIP lounge for like VIP pass holders and speakers that just like the green room that they can just hang out in there. Um, and yeah, it's just, we're hoping it's a, it's a, just a solid educational vibe, good party vibe. Well, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. What have been, I'm so fascinated by anyone who's, who's well-versed in web three you'll recognize a lot of the names that you just said. And even outside of Web3, the brands that you mentioned, like Univision and Miami Herald, how did you establish these relationships? Was this over the last year? Were these uh, relationships that you had prior to coming in Web3? It's, it's really remarkable to see so many names be brought into a completely new concept and convincing these people to put their name and reputation on the line. So how, how did you really build those relationships? Yeah, man. I mean, it's a hard question and an easy question all at the same time. So I, I appreciate it. Um, I didn't have like all of these business owners in a black book before I showed up and just called up all my friends and said, Hey, we're going to do a conference ape in like that was not what happened. Um, I authentically gave and participated in communities in Web3 for months and months and months before I ever tried to build anything. You know, I made friendships within the Doodles community. I loved what Keith Grossman was doing with timepieces and was in the Discord and learning and in spaces and making friends and going to meetups. Um, I volunteered to be among one of the 33 initial rug radio DAO council members to help. Like I minted rug radio rugs and was in the discord and learning and, um, volunteered my time to help the DAO get off the ground. And now I actually was just voted in of one of one of the, I think there's seven of us, one of the seven like initial class of official DAO uh, council members. Um, so it might sound corny or something, but like just I've authentically tried to give as much of myself as possible to these communities and these other people. And then um, with no, it's not corny, yet. by the way, we've seen the opposite of that, right? Like we've yeah. both been in the space long enough to know when a Jordan Belfort or a Kevin Hart or one of these big names, Chris Brown comes into the space, maybe buys an NFT, like 
oh, what do you guys think? And then a week later is dropping a project and everyone's like, fuck that. Like no yeah. one, no one okay. supports I'm so, it. I'm so glad you said that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. this is the polar opposite of that. I, <laughs> like me, me, me and my partners were like, I swear to God, if there is one more fucking cash grab scammy event trying to put itself off as Web3 experts trying to charge people $1,200 for a ticket to go learn about NFTs that just have hired celebrity speakers, I'm going to lose my mind. Like that's part of why we did this. So how did I build all these relationships, man, one at a time. And then when I, and then convincing friends that I've met, whether it was you or Willie from happy goat or Keith Grossman or Farouk, like, Hey man, I want to do this. And also like shooting my shot. Like I, I got up on the first time I was ever on stage with rug radio was during their mint party. Like, or when, when, like when the, the reveal party and I was all hyped and I was in the discord and I like requested to speak, got up there. And I like, I took 10 seconds to like tell Farouk, yo man, I love what you're doing. Do you want to be a speaker at Metaverse Miami? This was like in the spring, like way back when. And, um, and he was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Like people give Farouk a ton of shit, but like he, he was game, you know, to support. And I think he's he's been he's one of our core sponsors of this event and i think he genuinely wants to help this type of thing be built from scratch out of web3 i mean i mean you the you're right now what we're talking is being supported by uh Red radio correct like 100 presented by yeah, Red radio so yeah, yeah shout out awesome. shout out to the team shout out to the team and so you know it's um when you come authentically, like when you build something authentically and you and you're able to demonstrate authentic intent and do follow through with what you say you're gonna do and demonstrate trustworthiness, then that um, begets more trust. And so you know, some of our earliest supporters, I think Spotty Wi-Fi was one of the first people that he was like, Yeah, man, I'll speak. I see what you're doing, I like it, let's go. And so just being really careful about who we approached based on the way they move in the space. Uh, we did, we did 80% watching before we started acting, you know, and just being, that is key. 80% watching before doing is, is a key for sure. Because a lot of people, I have people hit me up and, you know, they want to know how, how they create content in the space. How do they participate? How do they get involved? And it's a lot of just being there, showing up, showing people who you are, putting your thoughts out there, just genuinely not having any ulterior motives, but to learn. And then you'd be surprised when you're ready. Everyone will have your back. Everyone will have, you know, raise their hand of, you know, I'm ready to, to support you because you were there Mm -hmm. and supported us. And that, that is the the beauty of, of web three. So to anyone looking to build in this space, particularly anything consumer facing, you got, you got to pay your dues in the sense of just like showing up every day. Like there are no, there are no shortcuts. You can't buy your celebrities in here. The community will like sniff through it automatically. Mm -hmm. And so, and you never, the, the one thing that I've learned and I'm sure you've experienced through building this conference, you never know who's watching. People are watching way more than you think. And so always operate under the assumption that the lights are already here. 
that everyone oh, is already yeah. focusing because it, you'll the, the amount of conversations I'll be having with people that yeah I had always like looked up to and they're like oh I read your newsletter or like I listen to your podcast like, that, <laughs> like blows my mind I'm like all right and it, like you also don't kind of want to have that in the back of your head because you want to continue to be authentic and who you it's are. It's helpful and, that I forget that often because especially often, on, exactly especially on Twitter Spaces like I was on a Twitter Space and we had. Um, recently built a relationship with Univision, right? Which is the largest Spanish language global media brand, like huge, right? And I was on a Twitter spaces with like 22 people. And I got a DM afterwards that like their head of web three was just in the crowd listening. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you never um, know who's watching. Very complimentary. He was like, Hey man, like, I love what you're building. We're so glad we're partnered with you. Like, you spoke about the relationship between us and your event perfectly. Like they're not an official sponsor. They are a supporter. And you know, there's like, they're in the process of going through things as a business that require that language. And so I don't know, man, it's just being not trying to put on any airs and not trying to do anything other than be your authentic self. Like if you try to run around playing games, like people are listening, like that shit's not going to last forever. But if you just, are yourself and are authentic and honest in the space, like it will, it will pay off. hundred percent. Well, we're coming up to the end of the show before I let you go. I ask everyone who comes on to leave the audience with their one big idea. So before, before we go, what's one big idea you want to leave the audience with, whether it's a lesson that you learn building out the conference an obstacle that was overcome, anyone that's looking to do something similar that they should, they should take with them. I appreciate that you didn't give me this in advance. And I will say that you did not <laughs> tell me that this was coming. No. So I appreciate that. The one big idea that I would I would try to leave is actually, I, I just navigated to my Twitter profile because it's what I put at the top of my Twitter profile, which is lead with kindness and act with integrity. And it's up there because I firmly believe it. And that's the way I live my life. And that's like what I'm trying to do here, so. Amen to that. And I have seen you lead with kindness from the day that I've met you, Kenobi. So it's an honor to have you on the pod. Really appreciate you taking the time. Looking forward to seeing you down in Miami and, and speaking at Metaverse Miami. It's going to be a great time. So if you and the audience are there, we're looking forward to, to hanging out and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, Kenobi. Yeah. Thank you so much, Austin. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of One Big Idea. As a thank you, head to onebigidea.xyz to claim your free OG status NFT. We'll be closing off minting after this initial run of episodes, so be sure to grab yours before they are gone. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.